This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the chance to be here this morning. We pray that you'd free our minds from distractions about things that uh, don't work and stuff like that, what's happening with the kids or whatever else, and we pray that you'd uh, help us to focus on your word. And again, we ask that you would um, encourage us, strengthen our hearts, and use it to transform us to the likeness of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, forgiveness can be hard to come by, can't it? Uh, I found people online who shared my struggle, and some of them even offered some solutions. For example, there was one woman who offered eight ways to get someone to forgive you, including way seven, show them utter kindness, as this will make them realise you really are nice and feel bad about being angry with you. But way eight, earn their forgiveness And this requires a lot of hard work on your part and even then there are some things people just aren't willing to forgive, she says. So in the end, she doesn't sound to me to be too optimistic, does she? Others I'm sure were well-meaning, but I'm not sure that I'd seek to be forgiven, as they suggest, by sending a text. And certainly not a text like uh, this one. I kind of owe you an apology. I guess, maybe. (laughs) Or, savour these words because you will never see me write them again. My bad, I was in the wrong, I'm sorry. (laughs) It might be easier then just to buy yourself a bottle of forgiveness because for 40 bucks on eBay, you can get yourself a 5ml bottle of doTERRA's forgive which counteracts the negative emotions of guilt and you can apply it to your pulse points throughout the day to feel grounded and content. Well, as one of my friends said, if only it were that easy. Most people, I think, find forgiveness hard to come by, but you know what? I think being forgiven is not as hard as it seems. And I say that being forgiven is not as hard as it seems because the blessings of God's new age have begun. The blessings of God's new age have begun. This is one of the key things that uh, Acts chapter 2 tells us. But before we uh, jump in, let me just say that someone has described the Bible as uh, like being at the seaside or at the beach. Um, You can walk in the shallow waters, or you can go in so deep that the water's over your head. Now, I don't want to make things over your head, but I think retreats like this one are a great chance to take your understanding a little bit deeper. And that's what I tried to do in the last talk. It's what I hope to do again here. So as we jump into Acts chapter 2, to start off with a shallow look, then dive progressively a bit uh, deeper, I brought some floaties. So as the lifeguards at Perth's beaches will say to you, if you get into trouble, relax and hold on to me. 
That is, uh, don't stress about keeping up in your notes or on your Bible app. Again, I'll, I'll make my uh, text of my talk available through Y. So for the moment, I- I'll take these floaties off because I can swim and if you stick with me, uh, you'll be okay. But if anyone needs them, there they are. <laughs> Acts 2 begins with this bizarre situation of people suddenly and spontaneously speaking in tongues, and that is uh, languages that they hadn't learnt. And Peter is quick to explain that speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that uh, Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled. So 2 verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived... Uh, they were all together in one place. Now, the day of Pentecost was a, a feast that's described in the Old Testament in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, if you can't sleep tonight. It was a feast to mark the end of the harvest. And the whole nation was required to assemble in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And that explains why, according to verses 9 and 10, there were present that day Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and all those people who were making you think, boy, I'm glad why read this passage, not me, and all of those other nations that were represented in verses 9 and 10. And according to verse 4 here, things started to get exciting when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues, that is, other languages. And as a result, uh, verse 6 says that the people from all those other places who were there for Pentecost could hear the disciples and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, there must have been some uh, Australians there who were used to the babbling of drunken barbecues and they said, oh, look, you know, we're not going on, these people are drunk. But Peter stood up and said, no, these people aren't drunk because it's too early, even for Australians. (laughs) So this is not drunken babbling. Rather, this is what the Old Testament prophet Joel had said. Or or in Peter's own words, if you look at uh, verse 15... He addresses them saying, uh, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And he finishes the quote down in verse 21 saying, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's a progression in in Peter's thinking there already. Because, in fact, he doesn't just say that uh, speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled. He develops that and says speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that salvation in the name of the Lord is here. Speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that salvation in the name of the Lord is here. 
but he's wading out deeper, you see, because he doesn't stop there. In verse 22, he starts talking about Jesus of uh, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him, and so on. And when you're reading this chapter and you come to verse 22 and it suddenly starts talking about uh, Jesus, it feels like an abrupt change of topic. You know, he's gone from tongues on Pentecost uh, 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 to Jesus of Nazareth and keeps talking about Jesus of Nazareth until in verse 36 he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. But if you compare the end of the bit talking about tongues and Joel's prophecy, verse 21, with verse 36, you can begin to see the connection between the tongues of Pentecost and Jesus. Because Peter, first of all, said that speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that salvation is here, and that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on to say that Jesus is the Lord in whose name, or on whose name we are to call so as to be saved. Do you get that when you compare verse 21 and 36? Tongues is about salvation in the name of the Lord is here. The Jesus bit is to say he is the Lord on whose name to call. So what Peter is saying in the speech, as he wades out a little bit further, is that salvation in the name of the Lord is here because Jesus, the Lord of salvation, is here. But the big question then is this. Why would Peter say that Jesus is the Lord of salvation? People had been waiting a long time for Joel's prophecy to be fulfilled, hundreds of years. People claiming to be the Lord of salvation had come and gone. So why would Peter pick out Jesus and say that Jesus is the Lord of salvation? Well, as you'd expect on a retreat to do with the resurrection, the answer is that Jesus is the Lord of salvation because by the resurrection, God gave Jesus all his authority. Jesus is the Lord of salvation because by the resurrection, God gave him all his authority. This is the point that, that Peter's making with the detail uh, in verses 24 to 36, with his discussion of what King David had said, and he quotes some of David's psalms and stuff. And here we are beginning to wade into the deeper waters. Uh, so you need to stick with me or, or you might find you do need uh, floaties. Now verse 24 says, God raised him, that is Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Why was it not possible? For Jesus to be held by death? Was it because Jesus had so much power? Was it because Jesus had never sinned? Or could it be something else? 
Well, if you look at verse 25, it says that it was because of what David had said about him. Or in the words of verse 25, for David says concerning him. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death because of what David had said about him. And what David said is then quoted for us. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, etc., etc. Now these are words from David that originally appear in Psalm 16. And in the last part of the quotation that's reproduced here, in verses 27 and 28, David had said, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption. That is, the decay and composition, decomposition our bodies undergo once we're dead and buried. And then Peter says that although David had said my soul in this psalm and in some sense was talking about himself, he ultimately couldn't have been talking about himself because we know that David did die and was buried with the dead. So rather than speaking about himself, Peter says that David was a prophet. And in verse 31, that David was uh, speaking a prophecy in which he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. So just to step back for a moment, we're being told here that it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death because of what David had said about him. Or in other words, it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death because David had prophesied that the Christ would be resurrected. Or in other words, it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death because he is the Christ to be resurrected. Or to put it another way, Jesus had to be resurrected because he is the Christ. And I guess it's important for us to remember here that Christ is not just a a surname or a last name like Maria Yao. Rather, Christ is a title. Why might think his surname's a title, but it is actually, in his case, just his surname. But with Jesus, Christ is a title. And Christ is the title that was given to the king God had promised to send to save his people and be the king of God's kingdom. And the interesting thing, of course, is that Jesus was the Christ from the time of his birth. The shepherds in the field are told that, uh, you know, one, one who has been born who is Christ the Lord. And throughout his life, Jesus was shown to have the power of the Christ when he healed diseases and calmed storms and all of that stuff. And when he was uh, crucified, God raised Jesus from the dead because he is the Christ. Now someone might say, well, okay, but why did the Christ have to be resurrected? 
And the answer that David gave is another psalm that's uh, quoted here. And the answer he gives is that Christ had to be raised so that he could sit at God's right hand as the one who, through whom God rules the kingdom. Christ had to be raised so he could sit at God's right hand as the one through whom God rules. Let me show you what I mean. If you go down to verse 34, uh, David is quoted again, uh, this time from Psalm 110, where he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, in the Old Testament, the first reference to the Lord there is uh, all in uppercase letters, which is the Old Testament way of showing he's talking about God himself. But the second reference to Lord here isn't. So, in the psalm, David's talking about the Lord God said to this other person who is my Lord. And because the Lord God said to this person, sit at my right hand, well, this person would have to be raised to the presence of God in order to take that seat. And if he was to be God's right-hand man, you know, the one through whom God gets everything done, then God is saying that he would actively rule through this person to bring all his enemies into submission. The Christ had to be raised so as to be given the power of the one through whom God rules. Or to put it another way, Christ had to be raised in order to be enthroned as God's designated king. This means, therefore, that the resurrection of Jesus does so much more than simply prove that Jesus is the Christ. You know, he wasn't raised to prove he's the Christ, he was raised because he is the Christ. And and what's actually happening in the resurrection is that it gives to Jesus all the power and authority of the Christ and the Lord. All the power and authority to be the one through whom God rules. But, if Jesus is now the one through whom God rules, you'd expect to see some indication of that power, wouldn't you? And Peter says that's exactly what the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost was. Now, there's a bit of a you know, current illustration of this, I suppose. Um, you know, when Donald Trump uh, woke up uh, the day after uh, election night or something, went back to his mates at the country club and said, "Hey, guys, I'm your new president." Uh, he was only able to get them to stop laughing and take him seriously 
when he showed them the top secret eyes only nuclear weapons codes. <laughs> and as strange as it seems to associate Jesus with Donald Trump, uh, the situation with Jesus was a little bit uh, similar. His outpouring of the Spirit is a display of his new power as the risen Lord and Christ. You see, if you go back to verse 17, Peter explained the speaking in tongues as being the fulfilment of the prophecy in which God had said, I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit, God said. But verse 33 says that Jesus, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. God had said, I will pour out my spirit, but come the time, he lets the risen Jesus do it. Because God now rules through his right-hand man, the risen Lord Jesus. So on the basis of the resurrection... Peter concludes in verse 36 saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, he hasn't made him Lord and Christ as if he wasn't those things before because he was. But he's made him Lord and Christ in that he's given him all the power that go with being the Lord and Christ. So if we can just step back again to take stock of the, the whole picture that we've built up so far from Peter's speech, he's saying that speaking in tongues is the outpouring of the Spirit and it's associated with the coming age of salvation in the name of the Lord. And that that age has come because Jesus has been raised as the Lord and Christ through whom God rules. The age of salvation in the name of the Lord has come because in the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord of salvation, the Lord through whom God rules, has come. What all of this uh, helps us to see, I think, is that the resurrection of Jesus actually does something. And that might, might seem a strange thing to say, but I guess what I mean is that to be honest, until recently, I'd always sort of understood that the resurrection proves something. You know, it proves that Jesus is the Christ, or it proves that Jesus does have power over death, or it proves that uh, Jesus has overcome the penalty for sin. But while those things are true, the point of Peter's speech is that Jesus' resurrection does something, and what it does is mark the beginning of a whole new era. Jesus' resurrection marks the beginning of a whole new age. So far we've been calling it the age of salvation. Again, it's not unlike the recent election of Donald Trump as US President. I don't know what it was like here, but uh, in Australia there was uh, live 24-hour coverage of the election results as they came in. 
And I can remember every so often uh, turning on the telly to have a look and uh, the count, I was almost in disbelief as Trump got more votes and more votes and more votes uh, and more votes until he went past the magic 270 votes and won. And so from that day on, from November the 8th, people have referred to him as President Donald Trump. But even as I speak, so-called President Donald Trump does not have any of the power or the authority of the US presidency. Those powers will not come until he is sworn in on the 20th of January next year. But on the 20th of January, when he is invested with those powers, on that day and from that time forward, things will change because on the day that he is invested with the powers of the presidency, the Donald Trump era will begin. And it's like that with Jesus. Peter is telling us in this speech, that in Acts chapter 2, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was invested with all the power and the authority of Christ the Lord, the King through whom God rules. And having been invested with those powers, a whole new era began, the Jesus Christ era. Just as the investiture of Trump will be the beginning of a whole new era, so too the resurrection is the investiture of Jesus Christ the Lord and it's the beginning of a whole new age. Think again of the uh, prophecy that Joel referred to at the beginning of the speech. Joel's prophecy spoke of a new age, an age when all of God's people would possess God's spirit. An age when salvation from God's judgment would be possible. But Joel wasn't the only Old Testament prophet to speak of this new age. Other prophets noted the same blessings of Joel and some different ones as well. So, Ezekiel, he said it would be a new age of the Spirit and salvation, but also a cleansing from sin, a regathering of God's people. And in Ezekiel 37, he talks about a resurrection. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves. Like Joel, Isaiah said it would be a new age of the Spirit and salvation, but also forgiveness. Healing of the blind, the lame, the deaf. Of gathering not only Israel but all the nations. All, Isaiah says, in a resurrection. When your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. And Daniel, who made no mention of a new age of the spirit or salvation, so I've ticked two boxes that I shouldn't have there. But he talked about an eternal king and kingdom. And it all happens, Daniel says, when many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake in a resurrection. Now one particular thing 
I find interesting all of this in all of this is that as the other apostles heard and understood Peter's explanation of the tongues being an indicator that Joel's new age had begun, they referred to the new age not so much as the age of the Spirit, nor as the age of salvation, but they referred to it mostly as the age of resurrection or to use their phrase, the resurrection of the dead. So if you look at Acts again, in in Acts 3 and 4, when Peter and John explain the healing of a lame man from birth, that the healing took place in the name of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that the religious leaders were greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I'd never really paid much attention to that phrase before. Just, you know, read over it quickly, hearing it to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But it doesn't say they were annoyed because the teaching had been simply about Jesus being raised. Rather, they were annoyed because the teaching was that in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead had begun. The apostles were proclaiming the new age, the resurrection age. So again, in in Acts, when Paul comes on the scene, um, he's in Athens in chapter 17 and explaining the confusion of those people who heard him. At the very end of uh, chapter 17, verse 18, it said, Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Not that he was preaching Jesus' resurrection, but two different things, Jesus and the resurrection. And as Paul himself admits three times during his various trials, he says it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. Not it's with respect to the resurrection of Jesus, but it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. So let's just step back again and and, and take one of our uh, recap breaths, see the big picture. You see, what the, the later teaching in the book of Acts makes clear is that the apostles recognized that with the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Lord, the resurrection age, the resurrection of the dead, had come. It had begun. And of course, if the resurrection age has begun, then the blessings associated with the resurrection age have begun too. If the resurrection age has begun, then the blessings associated with the resurrection age have begun too.
Yet while it's true that the resurrection age and its blessings have begun, it's also true that not all of the blessings have arrived. So to point out the obvious, we don't yet see all the blind and the deaf and the lame being healed. We don't yet see all the dead being raised. We know all the blessings of the resurrection age will one day come because the resurrection age has begun with the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord. But for now, we've got to be content to enjoy some of the blessings of the age and wait for the rest. And of course it's going to be the teaching of the New Testament that tells us which blessings we enjoy now and which blessings not yet. So if we return to where we began in Acts chapter 2, I hope you can kind of see that speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that Joel's prophecy had been fulfilled. Or more specifically, that speaking in tongues at Pentecost shows that salvation in the name of the Lord is here. Or more specifically, that salvation of the na- in the name of the Lord is here because Jesus, the Lord of salvation, is here. Or more specifically, salvation in the name of the Lord is here because Jesus has been raised as the Christ and Lord. Or more specifically, not just salvation is here, but the resurrection age has begun because Jesus has been raised as Christ and Lord. And if the age has begun, so have its blessings. So ultimately, from Acts chapter 2, we can say that the blessings of the resurrection age have begun because Jesus has been raised as Christ and Lord. Blessings of the resurrection age have begun because Jesus has been raised as Christ and Lord. And here in Acts chapter 2, the resurrection age blessings that Peter emphasises are repentance, forgiveness of sins, and the possession of the Spirit. Here how the section finishes in verses 37 to 39. Now when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Which is why I said right back at the beginning that forgiveness is not so hard to come by. Not because you can earn it with utter kindness, 
or sort of asked for it with an offensive text, or even because you can buy it on eBay. But forgiveness is not so hard to come by because God offers it to us. He had promised a time when he would forgive people's sins and remember them no more, and the resurrection of Jesus tells us that that time is now. So let me ask you, are there things you've done that you'd love to know you've been forgiven for? then now is the time to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Remembering that with the resurrection of Jesus comes not only the enormity of forgiveness and the resurrection age, but specifically the forgiveness of you. And of course, if you have entered already the resurrection age through the gift of the forgiveness of your sins, then there's a whole bunch of blessings still to rejoice in. Some now, some not yet, but all of them forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.